Robinhood users realize what everybody in the venture and startup industry knew a long time ago, which is that they're the product and that the customer is Citadel and Knight. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. How are you all doing? We all recovered from the unbelievable news of Tesla buying its Bitcoin. Crazy stuff, right? Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got my friend Corey Clipston from Swan Bitcoin on to discuss the wild start to 2021. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, firstly, let's talk about Kraken, my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin, and the only place I use for buying and selling Bitcoin. Why though? Why, Pete? Well, they're consistently rated the best and most secure crypto exchange, and security is really important to me. They also have the best in class in customer service. So whatever issue you have, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you reach out to them, they're going to get that fixed for you. And if you want to start trading Bitcoin, they have every tool you could possibly need. So whatever your level of experience at Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start trading Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile first app so you can trade Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trading futures and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available in the iPhone and Android app stores. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Next up, we have BlockFi. Now, with BlockFi, you can open up an interest account and start earning interest on your Bitcoin. I've been a customer for over a year now, and I love that my Bitcoin is working for me. You can also use your Bitcoin as collateral and take out a USD loan, and you can fund your BlockFi account directly from your Bitcoin wallet. And with the BlockFi mobile app, you can now fully manage your account on the go. And with the upcoming imminent release of the BlockFi Visa Rewards Credit Card, there is so much good stuff coming from BlockFi. If you are interested in checking them out, I do recommend you do your own research and then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And next up, we have my newest sponsor, Ledger. Now, this was the first hardware wallet I ever used, and I'm still using the Nano I bought four years ago. I'm a big fan of the product because of its ease of use, but not just the device. Also, Ledger Live, the interface for safely managing your Bitcoin, is just as easy to use too. And Ledger has just announced a new promo. If you buy the Ledger Love Pack, you get a hardware wallet to secure and manage your Bitcoin and a voucher worth up to $25 to buy Bitcoin. You can find out more at ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Okay, so onto the show today, and I've got my friend Corey Clipston on. I've met Corey a few times, hung out with him a few times. And you know what? We've been talking about making a show for a long time. And for whatever reason, we never got round to it. But with all this crazy shit that's been going on in 2021, we were chatting over Telegram. I said, come on, man, let's make a show. Now, this is a pretty broad conversation. You know, like I said, I've known Corey for a while. So we just shot the shit for an hour. Got into all the crazy stuff that's been going on the last few weeks, the rise of Clubhouse, to everything that happened with Wall Street Bets and Robin Hood. So yes, we cover all that, and also what's happened over at Swan Bitcoin, as well as corporate and nation-state adoption of Bitcoin. Obviously, we got the huge Tesla news this week, but this show was recorded last Friday. So if you're wondering why that didn't come up as part of the conversation, well, that's why. Anyway, it's great to catch up with Corey. I hope you enjoy this one. You know if you want to reach out to me, you can. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I do reply to everyone. Just don't send me any weird shit. Outside of that, head over to Defiance. We've got a new shout out there, the Bitcoin Dealers of Beirut, produced by Tom Pattinson. Also, if you head over to neveredit.com, you can subscribe to my daily newsletter covering everything from tech to Bitcoin to the macro environment. Okay, have a great weekend. I love you all, and I will see you all next week. 
What's up, Corey? How you doing? Hey, Peter. Good to see you, man. I'm so sorry it's taken so long to do this. We should have done this like at least a year ago, and here we are. I think we talked about it at Stacy's Crypto Springs in like fall of 2019 when I was like getting ready to launch Give Bitcoin. Yeah, man. And then and then we keep talking <laughs> about it, and then shit gets in the way. But do you know what? Maybe maybe this was the universe telling us because I I really want to talk about this Wall Street's bet stuff with you. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about Clubhouse. I want to yes. talk about Adonis Breedlove. I want to talk about all oh, kinds Jesus. of things. I want to talk about Breedlove. <laughs> I'm kind of in love with that dude. Who doesn't want to talk about Breedlove? I want to be Breedlove when I grow up. He's like my new yeah. superhero. But uh, I want to talk about Clubhouse. Can we start with Clubhouse? Sure. Because I think it's a shorter one. Right. So I like Clubhouse, but I also hate Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And I ha- I've had a few days off it because it became such a distraction. Like, I didn't do shit for like three days. All I was on there and was going on there. And then I was arguing with shitcoiners. And I ended up having an argument with Mashinsky because he came on and he's just a tool. So I was like, mm-hmm. fuck that guy, fuck this. And then I nearly got kicked out of a room for it. And then I was like, I need a break. But I think it's a great opportunity to teach people about Bitcoin. And therefore, it's a great opportunity for shitcoin salesmen to come in and mislead people. Yeah, so that's exactly what I saw when I got on, which was probably the third week of December. I think they kind of opened up a new round of like, okay, everybody gets five invites or whatever. Somebody got me on and Bitcoiners were outnumbered like 10 to 1 by altcoin salesmen, which is, you know, usually not the engineers. I don't really fault somebody for trying to code something and like not worrying about the finance as much. It's usually the the altcoin founders. And in particular, the worst voices are the crypto fund managers, um, because they're the ones that actually do the most FUD spreading about Bitcoin, the most lying, the most selling, because they don't really... They can't get paid unless they get their two and 20 off of pretending that there's something to manage in this space other than Bitcoin. Um, And so they're kind of the ones that are most lethal because they talk slow. They talk serious. Sometimes they have accents and it sounds truthy to to quote Stephen Colbert. And if somebody isn't there with the actual ammunition to combat, you know, as Nick Zabo would say, influential ignorance. You know, they just have the run of the place and they were using Bitcoin in their titles, their room titles, like you would expect them to, you know, orange washing, Bitcoin affinity marketing. I love Bitcoin, buy my shitcoin. Like it was just rampant. And there were only like a few people like Alex Thorne and Jeet Sidhu and Terrence Yang, you know, trying to hold it down in the Bitcoin club. And they, you know, they all have jobs and they could only do like one show a week. And so, yeah, we basically uh, coordinated a massive invite push for all the Bitcoiners. And we've brought on about a thousand Bitcoiners in the last month and a half. Yeah, and now there's there's no room that says Bitcoin that doesn't have Bitcoiners in it equipped to, you know, squash false narratives. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and it's, it's really important. Uh, another another interesting thing, actually, I was talking to Brecky about this the other day. Let's see, mutual friend of ours, because uh, we were in a room together. It's It's a real eye-opener and a reminder of how complex bitcoin is to understand when you first get in because some of the questions are basic very basic um and you kind of forget about that once you've been in for a few years you you just you know you just forget about that but some of the questions are so basic and therefore it's really easy to understand how someone can be sold on some kind of altcoin 
Um, I found myself arguing with somebody the other day about the fundamentals of Dogecoin, and they were like telling me why Dogecoin is... This wasn't in Clubhouse, actually. This was on Twitter afterwards. But I'd been in this Dogecoin room. I was thinking, what the fuck am I arguing with you about Dogecoin for? Like, if you think that, go ahead. Why am I wasting my time? But, you know, it's this unit bias that people have. And uh, and then they'll say things like, oh, you're an OG. You're already rich. Like, this is our chance. It's like, firstly, I'm not rich. <laughs> but secondly, you're talking shit. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. Honestly, like, um, we've had to develop a whole roster of like backup material. So we created, you know, like a short sheet that's kind of like a Bitcoin one pager get started mm-hmm. here. And when somebody comes in with super basic questions and clearly have giant misconceptions and you don't want to derail like a good chat about the future of Bitcoin or Bitcoin versus central banks or regulation or whatever it is, we just point them to like, you know, swanbitcoin.com slash clubhouse. And that's kind of like get started here. Or we'll ask him to like read Jan Pritzker's book, which we give away and, you know, things like that and say like, glad to have you here. These are, you know, important questions to find the answers to, but we have 700 people in the room and, you know, 699 of them have done their research. Um, Feel free to come back in a few days. Would love to hear some of your questions about Jan's book. And you've also got swanxrp.com. There is... There is swanxrp.com now that somebody from Clubhouse created and it's fantastic and you should check it out. Love it, dude. Love it. Um, okay. So, well, I think, look, I think, I think Clubhouse is a great opportunity. I think we do need to foster it. Um, and the other thing about it is interesting. I think it's basically an evolution of Twitter. So you can't, when you're on Twitter, people are all shouting and you know, arguing with each other. And sometimes when I've had that, I was like, let's make a podcast and you get on really well and you have a great conversation. I think Clubhouse allows that, allows for some really good conversations. So we should foster it. We should push it. But like you say, we I think it's a tool. Check. I think it's a tool for podcasters because what you'll see if you, you know, if you have a popular podcast or a big social media following and you put in a little bit of time on Clubhouse, you will immediately have a very large following. And then you will be able to leverage that for anything that you want to do. I had this conversation with uh, Nathaniel on Twitter yesterday and then he joined a room and we talked about it some more on Clubhouse last night. And The podcast experience is something that you can put on Clubhouse. The other things you can do on Clubhouse, you can't put in a podcast Mm -hmm. because Clubhouse enables like a hundred different ways or a thousand different ways to engage with audio, whereas a podcast is, you know, a, a kind of limited set of things. So what I think you'll see is you'll probably, when they make it a little bit easier to pipe in like really good audio to Clubhouse, right now we're using like a Bluetooth speaker and holding it up to a second iPhone and stuff like that. But you'll basically see most podcasts, I think, will broadcast the show, whether live or taped. They'll have like an airing of the show on Clubhouse. It'll aggregate thousands of people in the audience. And then you'll have a Q&A with either the host or the guests or, or both and be able to have like an interactive overtime on Clubhouse after the show. Yeah, I agree. I think so when I said that to Nathaniel, he was like, oh, yeah, of course I would do that. Well, it's like a, I mean, it's a hybrid. I don't think you're going to get away from wanting these like intimate one-on-one chats. Uh, no, absolutely not. But of course, you can have that on Clubhouse too. Like if you don't have a podcast that you've built up across all the different channels and you don't have the money for production and everything, you can you can monologue and be the only person on stage. You can have one person on stage. You know, you see Balaji and Naval having one-on-one chats with nobody on stage except for them. You yeah, know, that's very doable. Yeah, I've I've thought about it. It's like, right, do I need a clubhouse strategy alongside my Twitter strategy and my Instagram and my LinkedIn? I was like, oh fuck. 
so I, I, mm-hmm. I don't. I think I think I'm just going to dip in and out and, and keep doing my thing with the podcast. But I do like it. I just I do like yeah. it. But I've I've got to tur- I've had to turn the alerts off on my phone because it's like you look up, it's like Corey and Brecky and American Hodler in the room. It's like ah, oh, it's like they're my friends. I want to go and talk to them, but like shit, I've got work to do. It draws you in. It it really does. It's a it's a sticky platform. If people are curious about where I think it's going, you know, they just announced their raise of 100 mil on a billion valuation on January mm-hmm. 24th. Uh, and they have about 2 million people after having a 1 million six weeks ago. And they could be already, you know, 50 million plus. They're just scaling their servers and stuff. I think they'll be in the hundreds of millions by the end of this year. And I think by the end of 2022, it'll be a $100 billion company. How do you think it makes and, its money? Uh, they've already said what they're going to start with, kind of Patreon model. They're just going to let uh, tipping. They're going to enable tipping. So one of the things I'm trying to do is uh, I just got connected to Chris Lyons, who's the Andreessen partner that sits on the board. Got connected with him yesterday and trading notes. And I'm going to try really, really, really hard for them to uh, enable tipping and sats. And I'm going to try to marshal you and Marty and Stefan and Safe and everybody to try to make that push um, to the clubhouse founders. The problem with Andreessen being involved is obviously they're one of the biggest altcoin promoting forces in the world. Mm-hmm. They're eight hundred million dollars for blockchain funds, so it may be very, very difficult for them to agree to have just Bitcoin. And I don't really want to open up that platform to a bunch of like Litecoin and Polkadots and whatever else is in their portfolio. Now, nah, fuck that. You don't want that. Um, I think it would. You know what? If they did a Patreon thing where you can actually create your own rooms and people can subscribe to come into them, that's actually kind of interesting. You could hold private, you know, events in there. That itself is, you know, kind of cool. And they have in some ways, I think they've benefited from this COVID thing in that, like I described it the other day, I did a show about this because we're going to move on to Wall Street Bets. I did a defiant show about it. And I th- I'm pretty sure I described Clubhouse in there as like, it's kind of like a conference. It's kind of like a 24-7, mm-hmm. 365 conference uh, where you can just run panels whenever you want. And I yeah. think if they allowed room subscriptions, that might be interesting. Um, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd be interested in that. I mean, you're right. It's it's a bit of radio. It's a bit of Twitter. It's a bit of in-person conversation, whether at conferences or just with your friends. And, uh, you know, and it's a bit of podcasting because it's just people talking. And it's yeah. the product choices that you make to enable or not enable different ways of of engaging. And what I will say is really obvious in the early going is that this is not Meerkat with Periscope coming around the corner and Meerkat's gone. Like this experience needs to be so finely tuned by a team that really cares about it and makes good choices. And it already does have a very strong network effect. Twitter spaces will not work. Facebook rooms. Did you even know about Facebook rooms? They've had audio and they've had audio and video chat for Facebook groups for a long time. Nobody cares. It's the wrong graph. Like, I don't want to, I would be horrified to start a audio chat with the Swan Signal or the Swan Bitcoin uh, Telegram room. I don't know who's yeah. in there. And like, they're all using anonymous names and there's no, there's no like norms for behavior. It would just be a disaster. I mean, I mean, um, look, you're going to get copycats. You know, when someone sees something successful, you will get a copycat. And, but I think this is a winner takes all kind of uh, experience, right? Yeah. You get these niche little ones that maybe like a handful of people use. But I think also, Corey, I think their timing is interesting because over the last eight weeks, Twitter's be- almost become unusable. Like, I tell you what mm. page is unusable. My, notif- my notifications page is unusable because it's mm. Chamath, Winklevoss, uh, Elon Musk promotions. 
you know, the scam promotions, which are then each one is followed by 20 replies going, yeah, thanks. Oh, I'm out. I can't believe it worked. Oh, wow. I just received 8.14 Bitcoin, um, which is frustrating. I've got the pump and dump mm-hmm. groups uh, pushing. Uh, and then I've got all the shitcoin promoters. So my notifications are fucked. So that's become unusable, which is a shame. So you you have the problem, I think, of getting tagged a lot because you're a big name. It's My feed is still okay. It's getting worse as Bitcoin you know, as the market kind of pumps a bit, it's getting a bit worse. But I do see why people uh, will create a second profile and basically create lists for themselves and only sort of browse their list feed. And that's probably, you're probably at that point where you have to create lists or just like grab Jan's list or grab somebody else's list of Bitcoiners and macro people. I think Preston has one. Um, and just kind of browse that or use that as the seed oh, for your yeah. own Twitter experience. That's a good point. I did create a list a long time ago. I, I basically went on Hive and created a list of the of the uh, the Bitcoiners on there. I probably need to do that. It's just it's becoming a, a kind of unusable. It was a bit. It was like this in the last bull run, though. You know, bull runs bring out the scammers. Yeah, the fuckers. Yeah. Right, I have right. an announcement, by the way, Go that on, I'm going to break on your show later. Just Boom. when you want to. I can't wait. You got to tell me now. It totally hijacks this conversation. No, we're gonna wait. We're gonna wait. It hijacks this conversation. But that's like it's like I've got to. So let's let's finish up the clubhouse thing. Yeah, it's done. We're finished. This is like okay. We're we're done with the clubhouse thing. I tell you what. I I tell you why I can't do it. I'm I'm that bad. When I um when I uh first dated my ex wife, right? And we first Christmas together, her parents, and we got up in Christmas morning, and uh yeah, we had breakfast. And I was like, cool, we're going to do the presents. And they're like, no, you don't get, we don't do presents till after lunch. I was like, what? They're like, yeah, we don't do presents till after lunch. I was like, no, this is bullshit. I want my presents now. And we have a, we have a, I know that sounds childish, uh, but now I have a thing with my kids, like every Christmas, they can open a present on New Year's Eve. They can go under the tree, pick one, and they can have one on, I'm sorry, on Christmas Eve. So when you say to me, oh, I've got an announcement, I can't wait, dude. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to finish with one last thought on right. Clubhouse and something that I, I see that it enables that I don't see in, in media very often today. Definitely not in the Bitcoin space, or let's call it Bitcoin and the crypto space. Debates. When you get a debate uh, on sort of neutral ground where a podcaster says, OK, fine, I'm going to bring in these two people with these opposing views, they're super polite. They sort of follow like, you know, very kind rules of engagement and you basically miss out on what they actually think a lot of times. And so there's decorum and it's polite and it's going out on a podcast and it's recorded for posterity. And so you understand why incredible minds like, you know, Nick Carter or Dan Held would be polite when they're debating a shitcoiner or whatever. I totally get why they take it that way. The shackles are off on Clubhouse you will see what people actually think. And if you're listening, you can listen to multiple smart people offering different points about a topic. And then you can also ask your question or chime in if you have something smart to say. That's true. And so the compounding of the intelligence that is uh, sort of promulgated very, very quickly about a topic is just absolutely incredible. You know, I, I often, as you know, I've had the criticism of, of, you know, multiple podcasters that if they're tackling a subject with a guest and they don't actually have the time to really do the research to provide the counter arguments, then it's probably a good idea to bring a guest on to ride along to provide the counterpoints and ask those hard questions 
right, of, right. you know, a, Bra- a Brad Garlinghouse or a Zach from BlockFi or whatever else, like whoever else is promoting their thing, Plan B. Dude, like it's let, nice to have... Let me just interrupt I, you. I'd here. like... To, just for a reason. Yeah, sure. I recognize this of my myself on my own podcast, right? Like, I recognize I started doing... Like, I'm good at asking questions, right? But when I got somebody on who's not a Bitcoiner, someone like a Gary V, and they start asking questions, I'm not actually a great person for... Uh, answering those and that's why like with gary v i brought on breed love that's why with francis Coppola, mm-hmm. i brought on nick carter like i've kind i recognize what you were saying you did and i i love that you've been doing that i think it's absolutely huge i mean our whole model for swan signal was really just that that you know whether it was me hosting or brady hosting or whatever if we had you know two really smart people arguing in front of us then we'd be more likely to get to the truth faster and the whole model for that for me was like when Tim Ferriss decided to have Nick Zabo on back in 2016 or 17 or whatever, yeah, with my favorite two hour and 30 with Naval. And he was like, I'm going to bring Naval on so that I can ask every man questions, but Naval can like dig deep and really pull, ask the right questions and test things that don't make sense to an advanced audience. Anyway, and by the way, this is not about honestly, like you and Pomp and some of the people that started podcasting like two years ago, like your knowledge of Bitcoin at this point and your ability to make the counterpoints in particularly about Bitcoin is like off the charts, 99th, 99th percentile. So that's not the issue. The issue much more comes if somebody comes on to talk about like Ethereum or Ripple or whatever, and that's where you need to ride along. Yeah, I agree, dude. Look, you're totally right. I recognize it with my own show. I've started doing yeah. it. Um, by the way, I think you guys are doing a great job with Swan as well. Like the, you bring really interesting people together. So I commend you on that as well, dude. I appreciate that. Yeah, we uh, we definitely spend most of the time on guest selection and thinking about the pairings. That's the probably the most active channel in the team Slack is thinking about who to bring together and whether that dynamic would be good and things like that. I really like throwing parties with the right people. All right, <laughs> give me give me your announcement, announcement time. The announcement. I want to hear all right, it. All right, that's what I'm thinking about. All right, all right, okay. So. I think a lot of people know that uh, Max and Stacy invested in Swan and help us out and advise. And we do a lot of stuff with uh, their show, Orange Pill Podcast. So this fall, it'll be either the last week in September or the first week in October in Palm Springs, Orange Pill in the Desert, co-sponsored by Orange Pill and Swan. Uh, boom. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll probably be like 225 people. It'll be 150 Bitcoiners that know their shit. And it'll be about 75 influencers. So it'll be like, you know, actors, rappers, writers, things like that. Do, do I count as knowing my shit? Do I get, do I get an invite? Yeah. Yeah. You, you will be there. <laughs> of course, dude. When is it? When is it? Sorry. So, uh, I mean, basically, obviously, like COVID allowing and SoCal is blowing up. But uh, we think it'll be clear by the end of September. Sweet. Well, listen, if so, I've got my... Probably, I've got my vaccine. I'll, I'll literally take all the vaccines. Just let me get on a plane. I'll come out. I'll be there, dude. I love it. Love it. Anything I can do to help, you give me a shout, man. But yeah, I'll be there. You know I'll be there. Yeah. It's going to be uh, really sort of content focused. So we're going to have a bunch of different sets and, and tables. And we're getting like separate Wi-Fi for, uh, for media to broadcast. And I think you'll be able to shoot like, you know, 30 interviews or something over a couple of days. Sweet. Uh, yeah, maybe. I'll probably just get wasted, to be honest. So... Maybe well, there's that too. Do a couple. Why not both? <laughs> go go Matt and Marty style and do both. Drug podcast did. I struggle enough sober, dude. Exactly. Right. So listen, <laughs> I want to talk to you about Wall Street Bets. I just made a show about it. Had some guests on that really helped. Uh, 
I understand a little bit more, but I came out of it mm. with a couple of things. Like, uh, so I was very much on the fuck Robin Hood, you bastards, uh, train, but some people gave me a very, very honest and uh, accurate reason to, as to why Robin Hood uh, did have to stop the buying of GameStop. I had a very good conversation with Bill Barheit and explained structurally why that happened. I also spoke to Hester Peirce at the SEC, and she explained some things to me. So uh, there's a th- few things to go through. We've got to talk about what happened. We've got to talk about culturally what it means, and then we need to talk about, you forwarded me a tweet, but essentially the plumbing, which is the problem. So let's kick off with, like, from your eyes, what went on with GameStop? Well, I mean, I think the headline takeaway is that Robinhood users realized what everybody in the venture and startup industry knew a long time ago, which is that they're the product and that the customer is Citadel and Knight and a couple of others that they sell their flow to. I think that was kind of the main takeaway, that Robinhood does not actually work for their users. They work for their customers and their users are what they sell to their customers. Do you think that in itself is slightly unethical in that it is giving Citadel a head start? Uh, not if you disclose it. But they didn't originally. I don't know if you saw, know this, but I looked it it's, up. They, they it's got fined in the by terms DC. of service, isn't it? Well, Okay, no, they got fined initially yes. for letting Citadel front run every single trade with their black box algorithms. Oh, I, think it, I think it was actually it was more because they didn't disclose to their customers how they made their money accurately. They got a $65 million fine from the SEC and a bit of a slap on the wrist. Yeah. Well, if you've known me at all, which you do, because uh-huh. we've talked and see me on Twitter, I just think it's morally reprehensible to use shady marketing or false marketing and promote yourself as something that you're not. And it happens to be a really good business strategy and people can get ahead with that. And in a free market, people are totally welcome to set up that business model and market themselves with rob from the rich and give to the poor and everything else that they've done to like democratize trading or whatever. And And it's not that they don't offer a product that even if you knew exactly what it was, a lot of people would still use it because it's free stock trades. Mm -hmm. That's enough, right? But this this free market also means a free marketplace of ideas. And so it's totally also within the rights of anyone that wants to point out that, hey, users, by the way, you're the product and you're getting front run on every single trade. And if you ever get stuck in a situation, they're not going to have your back because they can't the things you discovered talking to, to Hester and Bill, like they're not going to continue to, you know, enable the trade that you want to put on because they are just an agent for Citadel. They're just like a market maker. Like they have to go, they're the car salesman out front that has to go in the back and ask the manager and the manager is saying no. Well, so the interesting side of that is, is that even if you're like, well, fuck Robin Hood, I'm going to go and use something else. Like I'm happy to pay for my trades. I don't want fee-free trading. It doesn't really change anything because it requires everyone. As long as there's enough critical mass of Robin Hood, Citadel are still getting the data. Uh, yeah, so Citadel is, uh, in my understanding, they do actually take like a, a little sliver by being the market maker and kind of like there is some spread in there on every single trade. It's not just the data, I think. But I could totally be wrong. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a funny scenario, dude. Like, I, I was like, most of most of my energy on it was just sitting by. I wasn't going to go in and long it. You know, even at one hundred thirty dollars, I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. I don't, I don't trade stocks. I don't understand this. 
But I was cheering on from the sidelines, right? I was like, these are our heroes. Like, take take down up, take down a hedge fund. And I, I, I even don't even know the implications. I don't know the implications of something like Melvin Capital, you know, going bust. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that money means. I don't know if that's somebody's pension. I just don't know. I don't know the consequences. But at the same time, I was just sat there going, fuck you, this is brilliant. Take them down. Yeah. The, the playbook, was this last weekend or the weekend before? I'm losing track of time. I think it was just last weekend. So I was telling people, you know, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, that basically the way to, you know, break the line, assume that they're kind of like union strike workers at Wall Street Bets, the way to break the line is just to scare them. And I figured that, you know, the PR war room teams on Saturday and Sunday were just basically trying to get people to stop buying and to start selling. And that's all you had to do. And the idea that all of these individual people wouldn't be scared by enough media reports in, you know, online and on TV saying that the SEC was going to come for you guys for colluding or whatever, which is complete BS, by the way. Yeah. Well, Hester, that's literally Hester what... That's what the financial information industry does. Like there's an entire social network called Stock Twits, you know, run by Howard Lindzen, where literally it's people online recruiting other people to their ideas. Every time you see, uh, you know, Kyle Bass or any other, you know, short fund manager attacking a, a, a ticker or a currency or whatever, they're literally putting out media, often biased, often outright false trying to recruit other people and their capital to their side of the trade. So it completely destroys the entire, you know, or like two thirds of the hedge fund model if you're not allowed to recruit other people to your trade anymore. So they would never actually pass a rule in any way that would very selectively attack one subreddit. Well, the hedge funds themselves uh, all know each other. I'm sure they talk. I'm sure they have their conversations in the Hamptons. Um, they've got a lot of accumulative capital. I'm sure that shit goes on with them. And the big difference is that that side is quite opaque. The, the thing I liked, the thing I really liked about the Wall Street bets thing, it was transparent. It was out there. It was like, this is what we're going to do and we're doing this. And they just told everyone. There was no secrets. It was transparent. And kind of anyone who's into free markets, anyone who's anti-regulation should like this because this was this was just out there and transparent. I still feel like they got screwed over, dude. Even even with the explanation to me of the prime broker stuff and the capital, but essentially, am I right in thinking it's what it essentially came down to is Robin Hood didn't have enough capital parked with the prime brokers, and the prime brokers felt there was too much risk. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's not even just too much risk. Like they literally didn't have the cash posted for those positions, essentially that their their users were taking. So if everybody's long then the net position that's posted at their prime broker leaves them very exposed. Usually when Robinhood has trades going like long short, they net out and basically the, the, the net long is all that is required to be posted at the prime broker. You know, it's, it's not too dissimilar from like, you know, Swan or, you know, Coinbase or somebody like that. Um, and I think Cash App does this as well, where you front your users the money for instant ACH. So that magic thing when you smash buy, but you know, like your bank and the legacy fiat system didn't actually magically make that money appear in your Swan account in a split second. We're actually lending the customer the money and fronting them the money until the cash actually arrives via ACH bank transfer at Swan. So it's kind of like that. Mm. Like, and if we run out of liquidity, like, so we, we keep a lot of money in that account. We borrowed a ton of money to keep in that account. 
so that we can front people during market pumps or market dumps when everybody smashes by. And, uh, but if we run out of that liquidity, then we would not be able to sell more Bitcoin. And so we'll, you know, in the future, we'll do things like reduce the limits, which is what you see with Robinhood. Like they reduced the number of shares or the number of options that you could buy in that particular ticker. If we have a crazy pump day and people want to like smash by 20 million on that day, we'll probably start reducing the amount that people can buy in that day. Just like you see with Cash App, when they run out of Bitcoin, what they're really running out of is their fiat reserve to front people that money. There's plenty of Bitcoin for sale. We don't have the fiat. Interesting. Because what I wanted to know is like they raised a billion and then they raised another 2.4 billion in four days. In my head, I was thinking, right. So there was a phone call between the prime broker and Robinhood at some point. Did they wait till they ran out of liquidity? Did they warn them? Did they say, look, we've got a feeling you need to have some more liquidity on the books? I mean, they, they turned around the, uh, uh, the, the fundraise in four days. You know, could it have been a case that they said, okay, you've got, you've got 24 hours, we need a check from you. Could Robinhood have phoned up Andreessen and said, look, we need a billion dollars, we're running out. Like, I'm, I'm wondering, could this, this have been fixed This is what we can never fly? know, but you know... You know Quibono. You know who benefited. I know. In the appearance of it. And and the likelihood is that Robin Hood dragged their feet to serve their masters, right? Because they could tell that they ought to draw on that line of credit. So they already had a line of credit of, let's say, a billion dollars from Goldman and JP Morgan that they did draw hundreds of millions of dollars from. But they did it very late after shutting down trading. They could have forecast like, oh, wow, it looks like we're out of balance. It's never been like this before. It's very likely we're going to get this 3.30 a.m. call asking us to like post a lot more before market opens. And they didn't do anything about it. And then they drew on it later that afternoon after essentially diffusing the whole rally by not letting people go long. On, they killed it. They what, killed it. The- Friday or whatever. Because if you look at the chart, I, I put a thing on Twitter. I was like, this is where oh. they fucked you. Because at the time, I was very suspicious. And it was like $40 from the spike. It was like nine o'clock in the morning Eastern. I could be wrong about that. It might be. I might be wrong about that. And then it killed. It killed. It killed the long. It killed the whole movement. Mm. I mean, who knows where it would have gone? But it it killed it. And and I was just like, hmm. If if it would have been beneficial, if there was something going on where it would have been beneficial for Citadel or Melvin to have been able to be trading, and they needed to post more capital. Would they have found that money? And I just think, hmm, I bet they probably could. Oh, of course. Of course they would, because that's the client. And, and, and that's, yeah. that's the thing that's bullshit to me, Corey. Well, it's just you understand which system you are a part of and that the system does not work for you, the retail guy with the free trades where you know, you're the product, just like you are on Facebook. Well, yeah, So, but this is the point where I think culturally what's going on is, is important now, because I... It's like every one of these situations is like a crack in the system. Like every time something mm. like this happens, look, we, we, we all know. We know we get fucked. We know that essentially like Wall Street has a, an office within the White House. We know, what, everyone knows what happened in 2008. We know, like, I think it was one banker went to jail, but pretty much no one went to jail. We know millions of people lost their homes. We know that. They were foreclosed upon. We know... The FDIC paid out for the banks. We know Mnuchin 
the fucker, Mnuchin, started One West. We know Mnuchin is the one that freaking, yeah, bought IndyMac, turned it into One West. The office is this sparkling building on Wilshire Avenue and like 4th Street in Santa Monica. Yep. And they foreclosed. Steve signed off on false pretense foreclosures on robo signed people. Robo-signed. We know that. We know they flipped the bank and made a call, whatever it was, billion, couple of billion dollars on it. We know Kamala Harris had the opportunity to prosecute, and she chose not to. We know Mnuchin, is it Mnuchin or Mnuchin? We know he donated, and we know Soros donated to her campaigns. Look, there's all these different connections. We fucking know. I think it's it's actually, yeah. it's, it's Munchen. It's, it's Munchkin. 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 Yeah, he's a small, fuck, small man. Munchkin. Fuckskin. Fuck, fuck him. Anyway, we know we know he's a prick, right? <laughs> no, but we do. And we know all of these people. But like, look, you get away with it. Like, they get away with it. But now this one was so blatant. It was like right in front of our faces. It's just, they did it. They just fucked people in front of our faces. And I was just like, okay, I'm glad I own Bitcoin. Yeah. It's part of the revolution now. I feel like it's almost like people have started to realize, actually, we don't have to take this shit anymore. We don't mm. have to. We can get together on Reddit and we can take down these hedge funds. We can get together and we can buy Bitcoin. Fuck them. That's why I say to you, like the cultural thing is important here. This really helped a lot of people at least see the matrix. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we always start with like, what is money? This is helping see people see like, what are markets? And so the same way that a lot of people have, you know, started to understand classical economics and realize that Keynesian economics is bullshit and just mm-hmm. kind of serves the fiat masters. I think this is letting people go a click deeper on the structure of markets. Even just seeing a number go up that fast in fiat terms, which we've seen with Bitcoin, right? It, it is a shiny object that sits there on the ticker. It'll always be there for people to look at. There's enough you know, video and audio and written content now to go back and for people to look at what happened and the fact that that was possible and also see how it was you know, how they saved their asses. Michael Jordan's partners down at Melvin Capital and Ken Griffin with his 200 freaking million dollar penthouse in New York or whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they were able to save their asses like rather easily and laughing about it. You know, I, I shared on Clubhouse a few times. I actually have a, you know, I lived in Chicago for years and I was mm. friends with a lot of the, the the prop traders and stuff like that. And and one of my buddies back there is uh, is still friends with Ken Griffin. My old roommate worked for him like high up in the finance department. I've been to weddings with Ken. Anyway, one of them was texting me an exchange that he had with Ken uh, on text and he sent me screenshots of it from like Wednesday or Thursday last week. And like Ken's just laughing about it because like, I don't know what they think is going on here. Like, this is funny. I guess I'm a Twitter celebrity now. You know, and you saw the same thing with Stephen A. Cohen. Like he Cohen. jumped on Twitter for mm. a couple of days and he was just laughing. And, you know, it's just not a uh, it's not a thing for them. You know, Citadel knows everybody. They've given Janet Yellen 800 grand for speeches in the last 18 months. Ben Bernanke is uh, on their board, like, you know, or is an advisor to the firm. He's he's on the, on the um, compensation rolls. Like even if there were something illegal, which there isn't. They actually did everything legally. It was in the terms of service that people signed mm-hmm. when they signed up for Robinhood. Uh, even if there was something illegal, they wouldn't have been punished. It's, but the cracks are showing, dude. I feel like I feel like it was an important moment. I don't want the steam to run out of it, though. I feel like there's momentum against this. Um, I just don't know how to. I mean, all I can do is like you is just bring people into Bitcoin. 
try and say, look. Well, I would say, I think a really good angle, and maybe this is a show, because we've had a lot of shows about what is money. Mm -hmm. I think we need a lot more shows for Bitcoiners and Bitcoin adjacent communities about what our markets. I think that we all need to level up big time. Like, how does the stock market actually work? How How does the bond market actually work? Uh, there are only a handful of people that really explain, you know, the euro dollar system well. And, you know, it's probably incumbent for now, while some of us in the Bitcoin media space are kind of leveling up to really point people toward the really good episodes from from Macro Voices or from Preston, where they've actually had people explain these specific topics, like the promulgation of dollars globally through the euro dollar system, which just means like international banks outside the U.S. lending dollar denominated debt to anybody that creates more dollars in the system, right? Offshore dollars. So that topic, how exactly does the stock market actually function? And then how does the bond market actually function? And we all kind of need to level up in those areas. That sounds like a Rao Powell plus Lynn Alden show for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be a really good use of Raul's brain and experience. Rather than shit coins. I know what you're saying there. (laughs) Look, he's my friend. I'm I'm working on that with him. I'm working on that with him. I'm not going to call him out. I do like. I him. spent. I talked to Ash. I talked to Ash for an hour and a half last night on Clubhouse in front of a thousand people. I will. I, the I, RV crypto editor. I'm, I'm working. I'm working on Rao. I think. I think. It, look, some of us have to go through it. I went through it. I shitcoined for a long time. I get it. I, I, he's going to come around when yeah. all his picks that he's shoved into people's portfolios go down 98, 99% in yeah. 2023. Then, then, he'll, then he'll come around. There is a realistic prospect. Look, I'm not a fan of Ethereum, but I think Ethereum is here to stay for a while anyway. I think it survives another cycle, no problem. I think it appreciates in value. I think there's just a lot of activity on there. It's, it's, it's the Vegas of crypto for me. You go in and you try and get out alive with as much money as you can, but I don't think it's going anywhere. I think... I think there's a significant difference between Ethereum and then something like Polkadot or Cardano or you know, that's just not being used or like little to no usage. Yeah, in the long term, there's no difference. Yeah. In the short term, there is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But look, that, that is what it is. I'd rather talk to you about Bitcoin, man. All right, listen. Yeah. Dude, it's been a big year, man. <laughs> and it's like, we're like one month in. It's bananas, isn't it? Yeah, I can't believe the flood of news that's come on. I, I'm thrilled, by the way, with the the, the MicroStrategy conference was was great. Really, Some really good. good content, in particular that that first hour that he did with uh, with Ross Stevens at Nidig was fantastic. Oh man, that blew my I'm mind. I'm so dude. glad that Ross decided to go. You've probably talked to Ross. I've had a few conversations with him. I know Breedlove talks to him a lot, but I don't think people knew what a hardcore Bitcoiner this dude is. And he's been that way since like 14, 15, just quiet about it. Right. No, I've never spoken um, to the guy. I've, I he, don't know him. Yeah. Oh, really? No, he's not on Twitter, right? Uh, hap- no, he's not on Twitter, but I'm happy to connect you guys uh, if you like. Yeah, yeah, I'm do. sure he'd do a show now that he's yeah. out there. So, I, I mean, I thought, it, I thought it was awesome. I mean, his conversation was like one of those whoa moments. Like, like it was like every line that came out of his mouth was a banger. You, you could quote tweet that. Yeah, well, it's because they're well-practiced and he's tried a hundred more that you never heard that didn't make it off the cutting room floor in all these meetings to build up his $25 billion pipeline. I think that's what people sometimes miss about Sailor as well. Like, the dude is literally one of the best salesmen on the planet. Mm -hmm. And the definition of a really good salesman is someone who impresses you 
but leaves you still liking them without being jealous. <laughs> and like you're rooting for them, but you're also impressed by them. And the guy has been doing international enterprise sales to governments and large corporations for 30 years. He knows what a good line is and he knows how to deliver it. And Ross is the same way. He's been selling to large portfolio managers and capital allocators for many, many, many years, including at Goldman and other places. And he's spectacular at choosing the right analogy, the right turn of phrase, the right delivery. I mean, they're both just incredible showmen and we are lucky to have them on Team Bitcoin. Next up, I talked to Corey more about Bitcoin's wild start to 2021. But before that, I got a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, let's kick off with Exodus Wallet, who I have now started using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, I talked about this previously, that I'm increasingly running my company using Bitcoin. Even now, the team I reached out to the team this week and said, look, if you want part of your wages paid in Bitcoin, you can do that. And everyone is keen. So we're going to be doing that. But I needed a wallet for my day-to-day Bitcoin use for the company. I'm increasingly being paid in Bitcoin. I'm increasingly paying in Bitcoin. And when Exodus reached out to me, I checked out the wallet and I was like, this is the one for me. They've absolutely crushed the UX. So yes, I've signed up. I started using Exodus. If you want to check it out, though, head over to exodus.io. You can Google Exodus, or you can search for Exodus in the Apple or Google app stores. Next up, we're going to talk about Casa, the very, very best in Bitcoin security. I've been a customer for maybe it's like nine months now. God, that's gone quick. I reached out to Nick Noom and I said, dude, I need to get my security sorted. I got signed up. I became a customer. And honestly, it's changed everything. It stopped me worrying about my mistakes, which I'm easily capable of. It protects me for in-person attacks, device failure, and so much more. With Bitcoin mooning, you probably want to get your security sorted, and Casa has a product for every Bitcoiner. With Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet, and that's only $10 a month. With Casa Platinum, you get their 3 or 5 multi-sig, which is the best protection for large Bitcoin holders. And with Casa Diamond, you get their full service offering. That includes a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best-in-class security. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And last up today is my good friends over in Estonia, sportsbet.io, the best place for online gaming. And why? Because they're so badass. They accept Bitcoin. They are the front of shirt sponsor for Southampton Football Club and the betting partner of Arsenal. So if you're watching Premier League football and you keep seeing Bitcoin logos, you have sportsbet.io to thank. And with Sportsbet, you have access to every market you could possibly think of. They've got football, tennis, American sports, motorsports, even esports. Everything you can possibly think of. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. Just head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions to find out more, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. So the thing on my mind, literally right right now on my mind, is... Uh... You might not have seen what I tweeted out, but have you read um, Balaji's article about why India should buy Bitcoin? Why who? Why, who? Uh, why India? India. Yeah, as in the okay. government. So you know that right now the government is yeah. going to banning, let's say, private crypto, which might lead to Bitcoin. So Balaji's written this article. It's a long article. It's fucking brilliant. But why India should buy Bitcoin? And I tweeted out, because the interesting thing about MicroStrategy is that they went big when Bitcoin was like, was it average by about 11,000? Was it 11, 11 or the something? First, the first one, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the first 425 came in around 11, 11. Uh, 11, 1, 1, 1 is what he said. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine some people looked at that and go, God, that's a massive buy, but 
It's a shame you didn't get in at like 3,000, right? And then he did it again at, I can't remember, was it like 23,000 or 22,000 by mm -hmm. the time? Because everyone front run him. <laughs> uh, and again, it seemed like a lot of money. Now it seems like they seem like good buys. But a lot of the other companies are thinking, shit, I wish we'd have done it then. <laughs> now, I, it was what's in my mind, what I tweeted out is like every company wishes they were as early as MicroStrategy. Whichever country goes first will be the envy of the others. So which yeah. nation is going to be the MicroStrategy of Bitcoin? Absolutely. And that's the, that's the true of every category, like which endowment was first, which mayor was first. Mm. We're watching uh, Suarez down in Miami, you know, about it, to throw down. Hopefully he does. Which county, you know, like Orange County blew up in the savings and loan crisis or whenever they went bankrupt, maybe it was 91 or 92. And that one, I think uh, whatever they were doing was, was shady. What if Orange County, one of the richest counties in the world, as far as tax base, even though they mismanage it, what if they decide to save themselves in their pension fund by throwing down you know, 2% in Bitcoin. I'll tell you something as well. Like I'm jumping all over the place. I want to come back to this nation state thing. But do you know what I think the most interesting thing that Michael Saylor's done is? I'm not, you'd have to answer it. I think the most interesting thing he's done is these two, was it, was it like $10 million purchases he's done? That he keeps on putting like, we just bought 275 Bitcoins yeah. according to our treasury strategy. Yeah. We just bought 311 Bitcoins. Yeah. I love it, dude. Oh, man. It's so cool. I'll tell you why I love that. Probably for the same reason that you do, right? It's, it's given a message. It's not about how much you've bought. It's the fact that you keep, you keep any excess cash you'll put into the Bitcoin. Look, I do it. You probably do it. I mean, I do it. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's more like 0.3 of a Bitcoin if I'm even lucky, right? <laughs> if it's a good month. But what I'm saying is like the same mentality. It's like, I don't want to hold on to these pounds. Yeah. You don't want to hold to these dollars. And he's given that message. It's like, we, we're still buying. We don't care what the fucking price is. I think that is so important. Yeah, you basically keep your like your working capital and some emerging expenses in fiat and everything else in Bitcoin because that's you're on a personal Bitcoin standard or a company Bitcoin standard. Yeah. So back to the nation state thing. I mean, I don't know about you. Like I'm, they must be looking at it. Right. Let's let's forget Iran and North Korea and Venezuela, the obvious ones. Like I think. There's an obvious reason why those countries are looking at free power, cheap mining, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm really interested if we get like a Sweden or a Denmark or a Norway or a Belgium. I don't see it being a European country. What do you think? Like, as like the first to go. I mean, outside of the rogue states, which are already stacking. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think some of the I think some of the stands are natural. So the, the West Asian countries like but it's just it's a pittance, right? As far as a major economy, like a top 20 economy that would do it, honestly, I think the one with the most incentive to do it and who has the culture and has already spent the most time on it, and I may have selective perception here because of the amount of time that I spend there, but I think it's Turkey. That's a really, really interesting call. That's the last country I went to, dude, before the lockdowns a year ago. We talked about yeah. it. Yeah, I was in uh, Istanbul. Yeah, loved before it. you went, I think. Yeah, I was in Istanbul, yeah. loved it. yeah. They've got an inflation problem. Yeah, so I spend a lot of time there. Yeah, so they, I mean, they have like a mild inflation problem, but everybody there understands inflation because they've had either three or four hyperinflations in total, like, you know, redoing of their fiat money in the last 40 years. So they're kind of like Argentina light when it comes to that. And they never have like the 100% inflation, but they always kind of have like the 12 to 18%, yeah. like always repricing, like super annoying. Yeah. People don't stack, like if you're not stacking sats in Turkey, you stack flats. Everybody just buys apartments and rents them out. 
Right. Okay. Yep. So, so like there, there, that's what people don't understand. Like hyperinflation doesn't mean shit to rich people in Argentina and Turkey because they don't keep any of their money in fiat anyway. Right. They have land, they have flats, they have businesses and they can just like reprice everything with, you know, whatever the new denomination is. But what Turkey does have is outside of India, it has the, uh, the most per capita. Well, I mean, I, I'm sure their per capita gold ownership is probably higher than India because way fewer people and they're richer. But um, they also have the most percentage of the population that owns some Bitcoin. There are Bitcoin ATMs and Bitcoin stores like all over Istanbul. Like as you're just driving down a main boulevard, you see the Bitcoin logo and the word Bitcoin all over the place. And they've had people in there with Erdogan and, and AKP, politics aside, mm. they've had people in there talking about Bitcoin since 2014. Uh, BTC Turk is a very strong exchange with tight spreads and like really good management that's politically connected. Uh, they're definitely going to do a CBDC. And like that's just really close to getting over the hump and having some Bitcoin. And they also have no problem whatsoever hiding purchases by the government. It's not like they have the same kind of transparency there that we do here. So you don't actually know what the government owns uh, with a high degree of certainty there. So they could already have quite a bit. Yeah, well, I wonder if, I mean, a lot of these rogue states and like Turkey's kind of like the, it's kind of like the the, the lubrication between Russia and Iran and Syria. And I, yeah. I, I, I wonder if like, I do wonder if these states are actually kind of having these backdoor conversations about Bitcoin. I've got no idea what they do, but I wonder. I wonder. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the first one to do it and then announce it is a game changer. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, it's. I think the calculus is basically you're shining a light on the relative worthlessness of your own fiat currency. So as long as your own fiat currency maintains. Uh, you know, some usefulness as a tool of policy or enriching yourself or positioning your country. Basically, as long like China, as long as people are dumb enough to accept yuan and payment for things, what's their incentive to switch off of yuan? Because it's, you know, they, they lie about their growth rates and that props up the yuan and they printed 30 times more than they had since 2008 and people keep accepting it. They keep on being able to buy up like land and pipelines and all kinds of shit with their fake money. You know, just like we do. Well, dude, look. Like, if, what's their incentive to move off of it? If you could print, <laughs> if you could print a billion dollars tomorrow and buy Bitcoin with it, you would. I mean, they can do that, <laughs> right? That's the thing they can do that we can't do. They can just so that's it. that's 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 that speculative attack and sailors showing. You know, he's he's showing the play to the nation states, as you point out. You're right, and somebody's going to do it. Yeah, I don't know. Who. Yeah, it'd be interesting. So, what else is on your mind, dude? Uh, well, while you think of something to really dive into, I'll at least just announce. You know that we launched uh, Swan Private Client Services, which is really exciting because a lot of people in the U.S. have had access to Swan. You've had massive uh, growth, so this haven't is you? Us. Yeah, uh, we'll probably start sharing numbers a bit in Q2, mm-hmm. um, but it's a much, much, much bigger business than people realize, and it's been profitable for quite a while. So we will never, we've never taken venture money, and we will never have to. So no one will ever force us to have a tough conversation about lending out our Bitcoin or selling shit coins or anything like that. We will never have to. Well, I've got something interesting we can talk about. Are you hold, do you, you hold Bitcoin on the balance sheet? Let's get to that. I did want to just announce that we launched Swan Private and that the yeah. aforementioned Robert Breedlove is a full-time member of Swan now and uh, is the managing director of Swan Private. And that that 
is now available globally to okay. everyone around the world. It's um, it's only for purchases by wire transfer of fifty thousand and up. So anything from fifty thousand to a hundred million, we can handle those buys. Um, is that, yeah, is that basically your pricing right in line? Is that your OTC desk basically? It's our OTC desk. Yeah. yeah, it's basically like Swan OTC, Swan Private. That's pretty much what it is. It's you know onboarding calls, phone numbers, white glove service, the whole deal. Pricing right there, the same as like uh, like a Coinbase Prime or a Nidig or something like that. Nice, nice. Um, you know, getting Bitcoin from the source, the whole deal. He's such a fucking hero of mine, breed love. Yeah, well, he, he <laughs> this was funny. I was like, did you watch the uh, the the Michael Saylor Ross Stevens because he's he's still in Bali. I think he's traveling today, coming back to the states. And he was like, well, I'm going to, but I helped Michael prepare. For the interview and then i helped ross prepare for the interview <laughs> so i kind of know what they said <laughs> <laughs> doesn't surprise me the, the, the dude was on another level man like if, if i have to write like if i'm going to read something he's written i have to put my phone away i have to get into a safe calm space and focus like his shit is legit yeah like he's it I, deserves candlelight to be honest like you should actually print it out and read it by candlelight i told him it's like it's like the it's like the it's like the acid of like Bitcoin, like I read his shit and I feel like I'm going on a trip. Yeah. And he's so tall and handsome as well on the fucker. <laughs> you got it all. You got Listen, it all. I'm not, not going to argue. So yeah, so happy to have him on board. We also just, um, we're launching a, a Spanish language show. Okay. Which is going to be pretty cool. Um, I don't know what we're going to call it yet, but it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be for all of LATAM and all the Spanish speakers in the US. So that should be really fun. That's going to be uh, Crypto Bastardo. Uh, Pablo of 7Z, who you see on Twitter all the time, right. is one of our engineers now out of Spain. Camilla Campton, who's a I know Camilla. Camilla Bitcoin or Bitcoin Camilla. Yeah. yeah, so she actually is, she's full-time at Swan now. She's our social media manager. So the three of them are going to kind of host a Spanish language show for us. Yeah. See, I've been asked a couple of times, I've been asked to do a Spanish show and then a Chinese, yes, I think it was like Mandarin. I was like, I'm not even going to think about that. Hmm. But the Spanish one, I was like, how do I do this? Like, how do I get this show translated? It won't, it will sound weird. It won't sound like a natural conversation. Like it didn't even cross my mind just to get Spanish people talking, but like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it turns is. out they can talk about Bitcoin too. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, I, I did. I interviewed with, um, I forget what the name of the show is, but it was the, one of the Venezuela shows. Maybe it was Crypto Bastardo. Yeah. And I, I went on the show and, you know, it kind of works. Like he asks you a question in English and then you answer and then he translates your answer, but it's, it's, it's mm. slow going. Yeah. I've been to where he, re- I've been to Venezuela where he records. Nice. Yeah, it's cool. He's a good dude. I like him a lot, man. Anyway, listen, I want to talk to you this 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 last thing before we we shoot out. So you hold Bitcoin on a balance sheet, right? We do. Yeah, actually, like all of it except for what we need to pay out next month. It's yeah. slightly irresponsible. <laughs> well, look, I've done that. I've done that since June of last year, um, and I don't think I will do it. I might not do that like as much in 2022. It might be like, I don't know, buy some dips uh, if it comes back down, if it's like the end of a bull market. But I've done it as well. But what it's done, which is really interesting, it essentially doubled the amount of capital I kind of have. And I was, um, I did it, I've mentioned this in a couple of interviews. I did an interview with Jamie from Hut 8 the other day. And we were talking about the, the really cool thing about this is all you have to do is if you, if you have cash flow issues, is leverage your Bitcoin. That's all you have to do now. And actually holding this hard asset puts you in a much better position. Like, I mean, I haven't raised money. You haven't raised money. I don't want to raise money. I want to keep building my media company and, and own it 100%. It, 
Is that, is that kind of your similar strategy? You know, you've got this asset that you can leverage. Yeah, I mean, we could. What I'd like to see is I'd like to see those rates come down. When you have perfect, pristine collateral that can be uh, traded, you know, you can do a margin call instantly at any time into a 24-7 super liquid market. The rates on that should be more like 2% or 3% a year. Right. Because it's the best collateral that's ever existed. So the market right now being at like 10, 11% or whatever makes it less attractive. Like I would only take that out if I knew I was going to pay it back pretty quickly. So we might do it kind of like short term and, you know, cover a month's expenses if we were a little short on fiat and didn't want to sell Bitcoin or whatever. Um, but I'd pay that loan back as soon as I possibly could. Because I just think that interest rate is too high. But when that starts to come down Why do a little bit. do you think it is high? Uh, because the people that are actually lending to essentially the agents, the bundlers, the unchains and the BlockFi's of the world that are doing these Bitcoin backed loans, the people that they supply don't understand Bitcoin's quality as collateral yet. Okay. And so they're treating it as kind of like a risky loan because like an unchained isn't taking the 10, 11 percent. They're borrowing money at, you know, whatever percent and then, you know, taking a sliver on top of it. That's what BlockFi does. That's what they mm. all do, right? So they have yeah. lenders that come in and give them big piles of capital. Those rates are too high. As more people attend Ross Michael conversations, they will drive that price down because they understand the quality of the collateral and how easy it is to margin call it. And uh, and we'll have lower and lower and lower rates for borrowing against Bitcoin. You, you could end up with one of the biggest Bitcoin companies that has not borrowed any money. <laughs> that has what? Has not taken on capital. Well, we took capital, but oh, we had did. a very strict rule. Yeah, yeah. But we've only taken it from angels and we've yep. never taken it from a fund. Um, most of those angels are actually like fund managers and sort of, you know, well-connected finance people or just kind of well-known people in the space. But it's a it's a pittance. Like we barely gave away any of the company. And, uh, you know, I think that was just a testament to building with Bitcoiners that are good at what they do and, um, you know, are very motivated, frankly. Do you know the the interesting thing about like I spotted it early on. Like I love the team you've recruited. It's very smart the way you've built that team. It's very smart. Like if you you have built like an all star team of Bitcoin evangelists, it's it's brilliant. It's genuinely brilliant. I really admire it. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I we just hire from Bitcoin Twitter. So hit us up if if you have special skills that would be helpful to Swan. Just be noisy on Twitter or have a podcast or a newsletter or something. But yeah, it's it's been interesting. It's like we have, you know, Gigi on the team. He's just a spectacular engineer. I don't know if people know that about him because he's such a good writer and speaker, yeah. but he's one of the best. I've been in tech for 20-something years. Jan's been in tech for 20-something years. Like Gigi is one of the best engineers on the planet, and I don't know if people realize that. So it's great to have him on the team. Um, obviously, you know, Brady and Brandon Quittem's full-time now as well. Um, Brandon's great. I'm such a fan of Brandon. Yeah, he's great. So, you know, Brecky is full-time now, has been actually for a long time, but um, it's good. It's really fun to spend time with these people. It's really motivating. You know, I wake up and like, I can't wait to see what happened because I'm on the left coast and uh, a lot of shit's already happened in Europe and in Chicago and New York before I even wake up. Uh, and so I'm always like playing catch up and seeing what clever Bitcoin things people have posted and said. And plus there's a company we're running. <laughs> it's funny you say that because like when I go to bed, I'm like... I get like this little bit of FOMO. I was like, what's going to happen if I go to sleep? Some shit's going to happen. You guys are going to do something. So, All right, man. Well, listen, look, if people want to follow you, find out more about what you're doing, tell them where to go, dude. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, swanbitcoin.com, swanbitcoin on Twitter, 
uh, youtube.com slash swan signal. Grab a free copy of Inventing Bitcoin at swanbitcoin.com slash free book. It's my personal favorite. It's the one that um, that the Mooch, or I guess his partner in Skybridge, recommended when they uh, did their launch for the Skybridge Fund. He said, everybody go read Jan's book. So I think that's a good endorsement. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm Corey Clipston on Twitter. And I'm also on Clubhouse more than I should be, <laughs> as is the entire Swan team. Uh, so follow the the Cafe Bitcoin is a group that we coordinate with a bunch of other folks like, you know, Guy Swan and, and a bunch of other people um, contributing to that and kind of running rooms and stuff. But it's a fun place to engage. It's centralized as hell. Hopefully there's an amazing sort of, you know, tor BitTorrent style network that does the same thing in the future. But for now, that's where the shitcoin conversation is happening and that's where they're attacking Bitcoin. And you're a soldier if you come on and help, uh, you know, save noobs from uh, flaming arrows being shot directly at their faces. Be a Bitcoin soldier, man. Well, listen, love this. Welcome to come on whenever you want to. Just reach out to me. Um, maybe we do this again in six months. Maybe in person. We will do this in see the you desert. In Palm Springs. In Palm Springs with yeah. margaritas. We could do this. Well, we'll see you in Miami, right? For uh, Bitcoin 2021. Are you going to make Bit- it, maybe? Is it April? They'd moved it to June. It's I mean, June dude, 3rd or 4th, yeah. Like I say, like I will literally take every fucking vaccine. I don't care. Let me get on a plane. So once once they've done okay. the vaccines, once they've done the vaccine passports, I will be there. I'll be in Miami. But it just comes down to that. If I get on a plane, I will be there. Awesome. Well, great spending some time with you, Peter. Thanks for All having right, me man. on. Peace out, dude. Cheers. What a wild start to 2021, right? Bitcoin was already mooning. Then Elon Musk dropped the Tesla news Nuriel cried, Peter Schiff cried, but they aren't stopping Bitcoin. This stuff's wild, right? Listen, it was great to get Corey on the show. It was great to catch up with him. And this one was long overdue, to be honest. The company and team Corey has built over at Swan Bitcoin is really cool. And I'll keep my fingers crossed that I can get a vaccine at some point and get out to the conference later in the year. I do want to catch up and hang out with Corey and his team. Anyway, thanks for listening. If you've got any questions or any feedback, you know you can reach out to me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, if you want to support the show, just head over to iTunes. Leave me a review, five star if you think it deserves it. One star if you think it's shit, I can take it. And outside of that, if you head over to defiance.news, the latest show has just dropped, The Bitcoin Dealers of Beirut, produced by Tom Pattinson. That is well worth checking out. Also, if you head over to neveredit.com, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you all next week.